freedom. To a sixth grader, freedom consists of a few simple things. Lots of sugar. Lots of games. No bedtime. And certainly no parents. I got to experience a taste of freedom. Winter of 1999 at Thousand Pines Christian Camp. It was my first Christian camp. It was my first time away from home all alone. I was excited. I was free at last. Thank God Almighty, I was free at last. But the truth is, I wasn't free. I was actually bound up. You see, my feet were trapped in some ridiculously goofy looking, absolutely unstylish hiking boots. My mom insisted, or rather forced, me to wear these ridiculously looking, absolutely unstylish hiking boots. Apparently, she was in the running for Mother of the Year and had to ensure that I was thoroughly equipped for the frosty Southern California winter weather. I was so embarrassed, so embarrassed by these hiking boots because they weren't cool. You see, I was bound up by concern for cool. I was so bound up, I wasn't free. Fortunately, a a good friend of mine named Joel was also going to the camp, and he happened to actually have an extra pair of cool skate shoes. And, And he let me borrow them. And to this day, I thank him for his sacrificial gesture. I put them on, and I felt cool. At least for a moment or two. Because then I realized... Maybe my hair's not so cool. Maybe my clothes aren't so cool. Maybe my buck teeth aren't so cool. Maybe my pimples aren't so cool. You know what? Come to think of it, I don't have a whole lot of friends. Maybe I'm not all that cool. I was bound up, tied up, entrapped in concern for cool. I wasn't free at all. But fortunately, I had the honor and privilege of tagging around with two guys, Joel and John John. They were seventh graders, so they were automatically cool in my book. Well, one night, uh, the first night we arrived there, we all piled into the sanctuary where there was a worship service, and it was cool. We're talking flashing lights, loud music, tons of games. It was cool. It was so much fun. But all the while, I was still bound up. I was concerned for my coolness. At one point during one of the worship songs, John John was to my right and and Joel was to my left. And I still felt this concern. Well, just out of nowhere, John John, we're on like the left side of the stage. John John just starts jumping up and down during the worship song like a pogo stick. 
I'm like, what in the world is this guy doing? What's going on? And to this day, I am ashamed of what I did. I turned to John John, the jumping pogo stick. I grabbed him and I said, dude, don't do that. It's not cool. I want to welcome you to another week of our sermon series called Complacent. We began this sermon series out in the park and Jeff gave us a definition of complacency. To be complacent is to be in a self-satisfied state of negligence or carelessness, especially in relation to one's personal situation. Over the past couple of weeks, we've been exploring all different areas of our lives where we become complacent. Complacent church, complacent with time, complacent when it comes to listening, complacent in our relationship with God, complacent in our family. Well, today we're going to continue the sermon series by talking about complacent freedom. Complacent freedom. And, and as we do this, we're going to explore a, a miraculous story from the Gospel of Luke. But before we do that, I invite you to stand if you're able to Stand, and we'll read from Revelation chapter 3, verse 19. This is our memory verse, and let's reflect on this a moment as we read it together. These are the words that Jesus is speaking. Let's read this together. Ready? One, two, three. I correct and discipline everyone I love, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. God, we come before you today. And we want to be right with you. We want to experience a freedom that is truly free. We love you and we praise you. We invite you into this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So if you would, go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 13, verse 10. It says, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. A woman was there who had been disabled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and couldn't stand up straight. So Jesus, he's at a synagogue. Uh, a synagogue is a place for Jewish prayer and worship. And he's here at the synagogue teaching on the Sabbath day. A Sabbath day is a day of rest. It's a holy day. And then the Greek text begins in verse 11. Kai edu. Kai edu means like, uh, and behold. What in the world does behold mean? Behold means like, check it out. Look. See. So... Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. Kai edu. Check it out. Look. See. It's as if the Greek text shows that Jesus is being interrupted or startled by something. Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. Kai edu. Check it out. Behold. Look. See. See what? A woman was there who had been disabled by a spirit for eight years. Well, what kind of a spirit was she disabled by? 
It seems like it's some sort of a demonic spirit. The Greek text says that it's a spirit of weakness. It keeps her bound up. It keeps her from being free. She's disabled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and couldn't stand up straight. Some physicians have diagnosed that she may have had some sort of fusing of her spinal bones or she was experiencing some sort of paralysis or some other medical condition. Well, verse, verse 12 says, When he saw her, Jesus called her to him and said, Woman! That sounds really harsh if you were to call someone woman today in our context. But in this ancient context, this was actually a polite form of address. It's like saying ma'am. He says, Woman! Apolelusai. Everybody say, Apolelusai. Good job. Apolelusai is a Greek verb, and it's translated here as you are set free or something like that from your sickness. Let's break down apolelusai a little bit. It comes from the Greek verb apoluo, meaning to be released, let go, sent away, divorced from, rid of. Apoluo is a combination of two Greek verbs. Or two Greek words, one which is a verb, one which is a preposition. Let's start with the first one. The first one is the verb luo. That's the very first verb you'll ever learn if you take a biblical Greek class or a Koine Greek class. Luo meaning to loose, to untie, to release. And apo is a preposition, from or away from. So when he saw her, Jesus called her to him and said, woman... You are released from, let go from, you're sent away from, divorced from, or untied from your sickness. Verse 13 says, He placed his hands on her, and she straightened up at once and praised God. Freedom is an occasion to be free. Isn't that just so mind-blowing? Freedom is an occasion to be free. That's not rocket science. Freedom is an occasion to be free. Verse 13 says, He placed his hands on her and she straightened up at once and praised God. Freedom is... An occasion to be free. Uh, Take a closer look at this verse. He placed his hands on her and she straightened up at once and praised God. It doesn't say that she she straightened up at once, praised God, and then hunched back over again. It doesn't say she straightened up at once, praised God, and then went back to what she was accustomed to. It doesn't say that she straightened up at once and praised God and then went back to doing what she's been doing for the past 18 years. But she certainly could have. I've grown accustomed to this. This is normal for me. I've been doing it for 18 years. No. Freedom is an occasion to be 
free. Again, that that doesn't sound like rocket science to me. I think that's something we can all agree upon, that freedom is an occasion to be free. But if freedom is an occasion to be free, and we all understand that freedom is an occasion to be free, why in the world do we, after being set free, go back to the snares and the ropes of sin and tangle ourselves up and coil up in that sin again? Why? Why do we, if we really believe that freedom is an occasion to be free, why do we, after being set free, go back to the shackles and clasp them on nice and tight? Maybe it's because we don't know what it truly means to be free. Why in the world do we continually go back to the things, whether it's gossip or whether it's pornography or whether it's alcohol or or, or whether it's hatred or envy or discrimination? Why do we keep going back to the pit that we have been rescued from? Maybe we don't know what it means to be free. Paul writes to the Galatians in chapter 5, verse 1, and he says... For freedom, Christ has set us free. So stand firm then, and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. The yoke of slavery he's talking about is the law, which brings sin and death. We have been set free from the muck and the mire of sin, so why do we go back to it? Freedom is an occasion to be free, not an occasion for complacency or neglect or carelessness when it comes to our freedom. We have been unbound, we have been been untied, we have been released from the shackles of sin and death, and it's time to get rid of them once and for all. Freedom is an occasion to be free. Freedom is also an occasion to celebrate. About a year or so ago, I was asked to speak at a memorial service. Uh, A very faithful and devout man had passed away. And it was his dying wish that at his memorial service, the gospel be shared. We're talking like an old-time altar call. Like you, you, do, you give the invitation, and you invite people, and they come up and accept Jesus. Well, on the day he passed away, his wife gave me a, a phone call and asked if I would be willing to, to share the gospel message and do an altar call at this memorial service. And I said, yeah, I'd be honored to do that. Well, the day came and I found myself up on stage in this huge church. I mean, hundreds of people all all over. And I'm here, suit and tie. It's a really nice occasion. And a really somber occasion, too. Because this man is with Jesus now, but yet we're still mourning the loss of him. Well, I get up there and I, I share a couple of things and I get into the gospel message. You know, God sent his one and only son to die for us so that we may have life. This is a time to experience life change and heart change. And I went on with the whole thing and I I gave the invitation. So if you feel Jesus stirring in your heart for the very first time, why don't you just come on up? 
Why don't you come on up and accept him as your Lord and Savior? I give the invitation and nothing. Not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. So I, I let it sit a little bit in the silence. Let it stew. Kind of like that, but a little bit longer. And again, I go back to the analogies and metaphors. Well, you know, we all came from something, right? And we've all messed up. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. I'm bringing out all these different images. You know, if Jesus is, is knocking on the door of your heart today, are you going to open it? I'm going, I'm sweating, I'm pouring it out. I'm, I'm like, come on, Jesus, we, we need to see something here. And I give another invitation and nothing. Not a creature is stirring, not even a mouse. I'm sweating bullets up there. I'm about to shut it all down. And a, a man comes up wearing a, a tan shirt. He's got white hair. He slowly gets up and with his hands raised, he, he walks forward. This man is accepting salvation. Life change, heart change, all the good things. Life and life to its fullest. He comes up and, and to tell you the truth, it got really awkward. He's coming forward, hands raised for life change. And in the audience, hundreds of people, big old place, not a creature was stirring. Not even a mouse. Silence. It was as if it was no big deal. It was as if like it didn't really matter. Like no one really cared. I mean, here is this man. I realize it's at a funeral and emotions are all, all over the place. But here's this man who's coming in the face of death and tragedy to, to come forward and experience life. Not a creature is stirring, not even a mouse. Then I, I saw one of my friends over here, an older gentleman. Uh, he's got, uh, he, he's a fiery and passionate man. Flaming red hair with a ponytail. He, he could go for a pretty good Viking. And he stands up in the middle of this silence. Stands up and starts pounding his hands together as hard as he possibly can. Because he understood that freedom is an occasion to be free. And freedom is an occasion to celebrate. I, I talked to him after the service and he was furious. Fortunately, it wasn't anything I said, but he was furious. Furrowed brow and everything, my, my friend the Viking. And uh, he came to me so frustrated at what he saw as the complacent freedom of the audience. That these people didn't really care. That they were, majority of them were probably Christian. They didn't really mind that someone was going forward to accept heart change and life change. I remember a specific phrase he used that I thought was pretty harsh, pretty heavy. He called the audience old, dead bones. I learned a lesson that day about freedom. Freedom. 
that freedom is an occasion to be free and that freedom is an occasion to celebrate, no matter what the circumstances. The woman of our story is celebrating her freedom. She's praising God. However, verse 14 says the synagogue leader incensed, that means enraged, that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath responded. There are six days during which work is permitted. Come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath day. Sorry, bro, too late. Do you hear his tone? There's no love. There's no care. There are six days during which work is permitted. Come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath day. No love, no care that that this woman suffering for 18 years has been reversed, overturned by the touch of Jesus. You could argue that he is the poster boy for complacent freedom. That he might even be more bound up than this woman ever was. What's he bound up by? What's the big deal here? If you would flip with me to Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. This is what's called the Decalogue or the Ten Commandments. He's bound up by his rules and religiosity. He's bound up by Sabbath observance. This is what it says in the Ten Commandments, verse 8 of Exodus chapter 20. Remember the Sabbath day and treat it as holy. Six days you may work and do all your tasks, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. Do not do any work on it, not you, your sons or daughters, your male or female servants, your animals, or the immigrant who is living with you. Because the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything that is in them in six days, but rested on the seventh day. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. For Sabbath-observing Jews, on the Sabbath, there is no cooking, cleaning, building, working. There's no washing, drying, folding, sewing. There's no planting, plucking, plowing, harvesting. Not even pressing of elevator buttons. Because that's work. Can't press an elevator button. And so what they have to circumvent this is what's called a Shabbat. A Shabbat is how you say Sabbath in Hebrew. A Shabbat elevator on the Sabbath. And, and it runs automatically every single floor. So it goes first, second, third, all the way up to the top and then straight down in order to circumvent the, the Jewish law here so that people could get to the synagogue. In my opinion, if you're circumventing something, you're probably just trying to find a way to break it a little bit more politely. It's a good thing that Jesus said in Mark chapter 2, verse 27, that the Sabbath was made for people, not people for the Sabbath. The synagogue leader doesn't understand this. He's bound up in his rules, his religiosity, his tradition. He cares more about Sabbath observance than human suffering. Not a care in the world for human suffering. But when it comes to this, oh, yeah. Got to maintain that. He doesn't praise 
God with the woman, but rather criticizes her and he criticizes Jesus. I mean, and this is the last guy you would think who would do this. I mean, he, he's supposed to be free. He's got all the wisdom, all the knowledge, all the power, all the authority, all the things that you would think would make one free. And yet he's bound, tied up, enslaved and entrapped by his rules and his religiosity. Jesus has a few nice things to say to this man. Verse 15 says, the Lord replied, hypocrites, don't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or your donkey from its stall and lead it out to get a drink? Then it is necessary that this woman, a daughter of Abraham, bound by Satan for 18 long years, be set free from her bondage on the Sabbath day. Jesus argues that there's no better day than the Sabbath to heal. It's the exact opposite argument of the synagogue leader. Jesus here points out that, man, you are blind. You don't even realize how bound you've become. You don't even realize how complacent you've grown in your freedom. You you don't even realize what freedom truly is. Back to John John, the jumping pogo stick. I had no idea what he was doing. I didn't know why he was jumping up and down in the middle of worship. But I later learned that he was jumping up and down because he felt so free. He felt so free in his relationship with God that that cool didn't matter anymore. He had no regard for being cool or uncool. All all he he did was was praise God because he felt free. Later in the weekend, when I met Jesus for the first time, I I experienced that. And and it was indescribable, the, the feelings, the knowledge, the understanding that I had when I met Jesus. It was like the the stars shone brighter. The trees were taller, people were more beautiful. And in a strange way, I, I felt smaller. But at the same time, I felt more loved than I've ever felt before. If we think that more money and more possessions, more power, more control, more authority is going to bring us freedom, we're going to be severely let down and bankrupt. But Jesus will never leave us empty-handed. He will never leave us empty-handed. He has come to set us free and give us a freedom that is truly free. And you may say, "Well, well, Jeremy, how do you know about freedom? What do you have to say about freedom? The truth is I've never been locked up, which is probably a good thing. I've never worn the the silver bracelets. I've never been on the wrong side of the glass at jail. But I believe that the most maximum security prisons 
The most maximum security prisons aren't located at Alcatraz, San Quentin, Pelican Bay, or somewhere in Siberia. I believe that some of the most maximum security prisons are here in our heads and in our hearts. Prisons of of anger and hatred, prisons of bitterness, prisons of alcohol and drug and, and sex and social media addictions, prisons of hopelessness, prisons of insecurity, prisons of fear and anxiety. Check it out. Behold, look, see, I know who's got the key. And his name is Jesus. And Jesus has come to unlock the doors and the shackles. He's come to unfasten. And he's come. He's come to to break the chains. Jesus swings wide the door of darkness and says, here, have some light. Jesus shatters the shackles of weakness and says, here, have some strength. Jesus unfastens the fetters of hopelessness and says, here, have some hope. Jesus crushes the chains of complacency and says, here, have some freedom that is truly free. Because he came to set the captives free. I want to welcome the band back up as we begin to wrap things up today. In verse 17, our passage here closes. It says, when he had said these things, all his opponents were put to shame. But all those in the crowd rejoiced at all the extraordinary things he was doing. The woman's sickness, her her physical condition and her healing, and also the response of the synagogue leader, is a microcosm for the spiritual condition of Israel. Maybe a microcosm of our spiritual condition. A condition, though, that Jesus has come to set us free from. It was on another similar Sabbath day where Jesus was at his hometown synagogue in Luke chapter 4. And he stood up to speak in the synagogue. And a, a scroll was handed to him. It was the scroll of Isaiah. And he began to read. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. This is from Isaiah 61. He he writes, or he speaks, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and the regaining of sight to the blind. To set free those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll handed it to the synagogue attendant, and he sat down. He sat down, and all eyes were fixed on Jesus. Everybody in the place was looking at him, 
silent. Not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. Then he began to tell them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled, even as you heard it being read. What's holding you back? What's keeping you from being free? Free to share, free to love, free to walk out your front door. In your freedom, are you truly free? In your freedom, are you celebrating? So much so that it it spills over into every aspect of your life. Or are you going about it without a care? Negligent to the fact that we have been saved from the shackles of sin and death. That's something to celebrate every moment of every day. To give us hope even when we're going through extreme trial and hardship. I found out a couple years ago. What had happened to John John? He uh, and his family moved away to Cleveland. He joined the Navy. And then on October 31st, 2010, he died. And I was trying to find out what happened. What were the circumstances of his death? The family was pretty hush-hush about everything. You know, it's not usually a good thing when they're hush-hush. And it it broke me to think about this. To see that this young man was jumping up and praising God and his freedom. Somewhere along the line. Somewhere along the line, he, he went back. To the snares and shackles of sin and he bound up again in him. I don't want that for you guys. I don't want that for any of us. I want us to experience a freedom that is truly free. A freedom that, that changes us in this place so much so that it changes our community. It changes our world. I want us to be the church that, that people come and, and they, they know that, man, those people are free. Those people love Jesus more than they love anything in this world. Is that us? Or are we complacent? Let's ask God to free us. Lord Jesus, we come before you. Maybe bound up, God. Maybe tied up in the cares and concerns of this world. Or we come to you maybe struggling, not understanding what you're doing in our lives. Lord, you know the struggle's real. You know, God, you can free us. So, Lord, I ask, Lord, that we reflect, that we would know 
And that we would have the courage to let you in inside of our hearts. Would you change and transform us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.